Hi, I'm Brad Feld. Hi, I'm Ian Hathaway. I'm Chris Hively, and your host. Your Startup Community Podcast is for any startup community enthusiast hoping to grow your local ecosystem. This podcast has something for every ecosystem actor, whether you're an economic development leader, serial entrepreneur, a co-working coordinator, an angel investor, a corporate executive, or a university researcher. Basically, everyone who cares about your community and the startups within. If we do our job right, there should be something tangible for you to take away and apply to your journey as soon as tomorrow. In this episode of Your Startup Community, we're going to explore the topic of active leadership. For us, we think about active leadership versus passive leadership as those actions, behaviors, a point of view, and a general mindset with respect to pushing your community forward. In many places, there are gatekeepers who control access to information, capital, and other critical resources. Sometimes we see future leaders operating more on a permission basis, which all of these things inhibit progress. As always, Ian Hathaway and I will set up the topic, and then we'll be followed by one or two guests who will talk about active leadership with respect to their startup community. We will finish with Brad, who will weigh in on what he has heard from us all, fix things we broke, augment things he heard, generally provide us some more context of how you and your peers can adopt an active mindset that ultimately will accelerate your startup community. Let's get started. You know, what does active leadership mean to you? Yeah, so um, it's just that word, act, to act, right? It's permissionless. So um, I think the formula for all of this is pretty simple. It's that if you're an entrepreneur and you would like to see the conditions for entrepreneurs improve, um, to take those initial steps to start building community can be very simple finding other entrepreneurs who also have a similar desire, uh, building relationships and talking about common challenges. Over time, those relationships will deepen, um, new people will be welcomed into, into the community and you'll find ways to collaborate to solve many of those common challenges. And sometimes when people hear active and they're fundamentally kind of an introverted personality, um, something dis- disconnects. Does active have to mean extrovert? Well, so first of all, let me just say that as an introvert, um, I actually think I have a strong bias uh, that introverts are some of the best community builders. Uh, Remember that the initial unit of exchange in startup community building is the one-to-one connection, right? What you really need are two things, the desire to build lasting and meaningful human relationships, which I believe are always best done first in that one-to-one connection. And the second is this desire uh, to be resourceful and helpful. Um, we might be playing a little bit of you know word gymnastics, but I think of passive engagement as the sorts of things that are like, you know, maybe I'm veering a little bit into specific activities, but things like award ceremonies or cocktail parties where the emphasis is on being social. Um, and that's okay. We need some of that too, but I think of active engagement also as being more um, about learning, about um, sharing connections and that sort of thing. It's about the, the desire to grow as, as individuals and to grow our businesses. I also think, um, Ian, that in, in sometimes I, I, when you play a passive role, it's almost like I've seen in some communities where maybe there's a large 
entrepreneur organization. It's kind of ceding to them the responsibility to be leaders and you taking more of a backseat or it may be that it's in a more uh, traditional, you know, sometimes I call that kind of a, um, an old fashioned, you know, I think Brad referred to it as a patriarchal kind of organized community where you kind of have to ask for permission. Are the kind of things I just talked about also part of being a passive leader and, and what de- why, why do they not work in a startup community? Yeah, I mean, we see this everywhere, right? Uh, you have um, institutions that are often funded by the states, governments, um, national, regional, state governments. Um, and, you know, and oftentimes the the relevancy of the programming and the engagement with the actual entrepreneurs is limited at best. Um, entrepreneurs complain about it, um, but many of them just disengage rather than finding more meaningful ways to engage around that. Um, that maybe as a form of passivity or, you know, even resignation, um, I guess I would say. And so my encouragement is for entrepreneurs to to find ways to meaningfully improve that or to create new forms of collaboration in those communities. Yeah. One of the things I talk about in my community of Raleigh-Durham is that, uh, and not just in Raleigh-Durham, you know, we have a great entrepreneur organization that for years has put on an annual conference. And, you know, I support that and I love that it happens. But, you know, if you think about a typical conference, it might have six, 700 people, maybe a thousand people. It's really hard to build one-to-one relationships in those kinds of environments, right? And so I don't think they're as powerful as they could be as opposed to maybe doing six or 10 smaller meetups over the course of a year, right? That feels like a more active, creating one-to-one collisions and being able to form what I've always called meaningful relationships, right? And, you know, some of the places that we've been involved in, in Taiwan and Buffalo and Norfolk, Virginia and Louisville, what are some of the things that community builders are doing that are more of the right things? Well, so I feel like so much of effective community building comes down to engagement, right? And and I would say that, um, I, I really hone in on that because I feel like I've seen over and over the lack of direct engagement leads to bad community building, right? It's meeting people where they are. It's, you know, the proverbial sitting down over a cup of coffee and, you know, just being there to listen, to get to know that person in an authentic way that builds trust, right? Trust is the currency of exchange in these networks. And so without it, it's hard to, get people to be vulnerable about what their challenges are, um, to get them to share, you know, ideas or, you know, maybe network and so on. And so I feel like simply engaging, uh, builds relationships It makes sure that you have the relevant information. Um, in fact, in, in, you know, our engagements at Techstars, um, we, it's one of the few things that we require our local teams to do is to engage in many one-to-one connections out of the gate. And it's, it's pretty much our, you know, like, a, like sometimes football teams will have that scripted first few plays. Our only scripted first play is you have to go and meet 100 founders in 100 days. And that's the loose objective. What comes out of that, um, you've, built, you've built meaningful connections, you've found lots of new friends, right? And now you know what the real challenges are. rather than assuming them, which is what too many institutional actors uh, are prone to do. Um, And one of the things I'd like to add about these kind of 
what you sometimes have uh, borrowed a phrase, catalytic events, is that uh, they don't have to cost money, do they? No, um, uh, they can, right? Um, and, and and money's fun. Uh, uh, Well-funded well events are fun. But really what we're talking about is your time, um, your attention, right? Uh, your energy um, and your willingness uh, to help other people. The thing that kind of money sometimes brings is you usually have to ask someone permission to get money and it kind of creates a longer you know, throw to kind of get things started and get things done. So my, my point about money is that um, if there's five or six super motivated individuals, especially ones that have, you know, have been on part of the entrepreneurial journey, and if their sole task is to just meet as many entrepreneurs and then ask them how they can help and do that and build meaningful engagement, you know, that in itself can go a long way, right? Yeah, I mean, think of it as you would building a company, right? The first thing shouldn't be asking for money uh, unless you've done it a bunch of times before and you have the credibility um, from investors that, you know, that writing that check would actually be a worthwhile investment. But early on, you need to, you need to experiment and you need to see, you know, which um, gaps in the market you're filling, demonstrating that traction to investors, or in this case, funders of community building activities um, is absolutely essential. The second thing is that it strengthens your position when you are engaging those discussions, right? If you have built a critical mass of engaged individuals and you're showing um, that, you know, you're showing that momentum, um, some people will naturally want to be involved, right? It's it's attracting resources to that. And so that would be my point is to say, look, um, be scrappy in the beginning, um, make sure you're you're actually servicing an unmet need in the community that you're building, I guess, an, an army of dedicated individuals behind it. Um, and then invite people along uh, who may have the resources to support it in that way, um, making sure that, um, you know, that they're committed to what you're creating, not what they want you to create for them. We've been talking to my good friend and collaborator, Ian Hathaway, co-author of The Startup Community Way, and a longtime researcher and writer about entrepreneurship, about active leadership. Now let's bring in a couple guests who are startup community leaders exhibiting active leadership and get their take on being a positive startup community leader, as well as share a few stories about their hometown. Well, today we're all super lucky to have Lisa Mitchell on our podcast. Um, honestly, when I started making a list of people for season one, Lisa was literally the first name that I wrote down. And the reason is that she has been in and around startups, startup support organizations, entrepreneurialism for so long, it's not true. Uh, a little Led Zeppelin reference there. Um, a few highlights about Lisa, who you'll meet if you haven't met her before. 10 years at the Coffin Foundation, serving a variety of executive roles, a real driver and leader there. A few stints in the private sector, but most recently, and I think the fun, the fun that I'm gonna have is the last year, three years as the managing director of Techstars Kansas City. Uh, as we were just talking, you know, Kansas City is not Boston or New York or maybe even Seattle uh, and certainly the Valley. And so, as we all know, part of the podcast is um, telling stories about uh, communities that are maybe second or third tier. And uh, both of us believe Kansas City fits in that. Um, she's been dubbed a one woman hub and the human LinkedIn, uh, whoever came up with that one. Uh, deserve some points because uh, we know it's true. She's the most connected person I know. Uh, born in Chicago, spent most of her life 
adult life, she says, in Kansas City. She self-described herself as an instigator, which is probably why we connect so much, Lisa. So thanks for joining Ian and Brad and I to talk startup communities and entrepreneurial ecosystems. Today, we want to talk about being a good community leader. And so just to kick things off, Lisa, you've traveled all over the world. You've met founders, investors, community builders. You've dug in deep on Kansas City. Tell me what makes a good community leader. I, I think what's interesting is the answer is there isn't one. <laughs> the answer is if there's not many, you got a problem. If there is one, you probably have a problem. Um, and and you you know it is a, a little bit like you know them when you see them um, because they're the person who's um, trying to um, herd. Um, they're trying to sh Sherpa, they're trying, you know, there's all sorts of, of maybe animal analogies that you could use from farming <laughs> or right. from other things. And sometimes it's from the back of the room and sometimes it's from the front of the room. Um, they're usually the people in the room that have the most diverse people around them. Um, diverse meaning old, young entrepreneurs, investors, students, and frankly, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's almost kind of the same footprint of, you know, started kind of with one guy, our friend at Trinet, who is from upstate New York and got things going years and years ago by starting a mentor network. And now, you know, you, I'm sure most new people in the upstate New York area maybe don't even know him. Right. Um, but, you know, those are the people that establish an early footprint and then they don't try to stay in front. They step to the back of the room and try to bring a whole bunch of people along with them. One of the things that I've noticed, um, especially in the last few years, as we get more and more kind of um, institutions involved in trying to, and, and motivated to try to build a community is they, they try to kind of, you know, package orient, uh, you know, they try to set kind of a distinct vision. You mentioned something earlier that um, the leaders are going to come from lots of different places. But I see that there's one characteristic that they all have, and that characteristic is what um, Brad calls active participation. So when you think about some of the people, the woman in Kosovo, um, our friend up in upstate New York, I think the one common characteristic among all of them is, is just getting stuff done. The other side of that coin is not waiting to ask permission to get things done. Yeah. What do you think of that? Oh, absolutely and completely agree. And those two people that we're talking about are, are great examples. My friends in, um, I, I, great example, Kenya. Um, years ago at a TED conference, I met a TED fellow by the name of Eric Herzman. Eric was, um, a, uh, his, his Twitter handle is White African. Um, Eric was, had, a, had social ventures, but was starting a company. Um, he was there to talk about kind of the movement that he was trying to create to actually create internet connectivity. What a crazy idea 15 years ago in um, the bush in Africa. Um, since that time, Eric was the instigator behind creating one of the first hubs called iHub um, on the continent of Africa. Um, got it going. Um, ended up creating two or three companies with a number of different people from across the globe. Um, ended up getting a whole bunch of VCs 
to, um, I think, Geeks on a Plane years ago with Dave McClure, got on a plane and went over. Um, and Eric was like the instigator guy that did a bunch of stuff. There wasn't one thing. He did a bunch of stuff. He planted a, you know, it comes back to the, you know, you, you might have thought I was something else, but I was actually just a seed. I think those people all see themselves as just getting shit done. The part about just getting stuff done, I mean, a lot of us with um, a history and, a, and an set of experiences, you know, uh, us mature people, um, you know, typically when we dive into something, we want to, you know, organize it and we got a plan for it. And we need to build the strategic plan and and all of those things. And it turns out that startup communities don't really flourish that way and quite the opposite. Um, the, the phrase getting shit done is something that permeates just not you and my lives, but tech stars and everyone in this tribe. So in terms of kind of getting shit done, I'm sitting in my community somewhere in the U.S., somewhere around the world. I've decided or something has kind of lit a fire in me to do something and uh, and I don't know what to do. Tell me tell me the one thing that you would advise someone that's motivated to do something in your community What's the one thing they could do to get started? Well, I mean, frankly, I do think the one thing that one should do, it's kind of like customer discovery process. <laughs> the one thing someone should do is go out and meet a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, just meet people. It's the easiest thing in the world, isn't it? Ask them to coffee or a beer or lunch. But yes, in any community, I think it's, you know, go meet people that don't look like you. Right. Um, that are also interested in getting shit done and figure out what is the common element of what you know five or six want to do together and but again don't focus on one thing don't create committees don't right. don't create an organization that's i always say if you have to name it you're already you're already going in the wrong direction right there's no treasurer of these groups <laughs> but, I, but i also have to say a common frustration that i've had for um like I've been doing this since 2004. Um, and a common frustration that I've had is that there is an assumption that governance, and I think you guys addressed that in the Startup Community Way book, there's an assumption that governance is required. <laughs> and we need to establish a committee. And I do think, you know, the interesting thing that I read in Startup Community Way was kind of like the think about covenants instead of governance, kind of like, the common bind uh, or the common um, the common theme right. with what everybody's trying to do. And, you know, yes, we're not looking or yes, we are not looking for a leader. <laughs> yes, we have no rules. <laughs> yes. You know, as we kind of bring this to a head, you know, it's probably when we talk about active leadership, it's just connecting with people actively, daily, weekly, making that part of who you are as a community leader, the kinds of activities that you want to stand up because you both are motivated by the same thing. Um, this just the GSD uh, motto that that we're uh, parlaying here. Um, you'll find your peers to be able to do that, but you have to take an active stance. If you if you sit back, right, and you let it come to you, it's just not going to happen. Or waiting for permission or asking. Those are very those are artifacts of a hierarchical type of thing. What's next for Kansas City? Who are the leaders that you see, not by name per se, but who 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 is lagging behind in Kansas City that you need to see hopefully stand up? Yeah. So you know, in a in a community like mine that doesn't have a lot of formal venture what needs to happen is you find like other 
other early capital. And what's been amazing, and you know, I have I have a new best friend in Kansas City who's a woman I met, um, I think four years ago, didn't know each other at all. I don't even remember how we met. Um, but I met her through one of the leading law firms, introduced me to her, and we had lunch. And she said, um, what do you need? And I said, well, actually, what I need is a pre-Techstars with some funding. And she said, uh, I mean, we had lunch. I actually never thought anything was going to happen. And the next thing I know, she creates this organization that's now in year four <laughs> that's called um, Pure Pitch Rally that brings together her friends who want to write super early stage checks, like super, pre-seed, way pre-seed. And she puts this thing on now every year that, you know, I help her vet some of these companies and she's got a, a team of people that vet these super early stage companies. They come and pitch for an hour and a half in the afternoon. And this year she had a thousand people that wrote checks for a thousand dollars. That's one of the best grassroots kind of capital stories I've ever heard. So today we have Gonzalo here to talk about active versus passive community leadership. Uh, something that's really important that we try to highlight in the book. Take me back to 2007, eight, you arrive back in Lima and you say, I want to dive into the startup community. What, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you see when you start to look around the Lima community at that time period? Oh man. So back then there was uh, not much. Uh, the startup, the word startup was not mentioned. Uh, we didn't even know the, the meaning of that. We were talking about uh, SMEs, actually, small and medium enterprises, uh, how to get funding to them. Um, and then, uh, so someone, uh, it was a Peruvian businessman that wrote a chapter in a book about angel investment. And he discovered that through his uh, studies in, in, in the US. And he was like, okay, I might, I might write a chapter. Uh, and then, the, uh, you know, someone else, another entrepreneur here, contacted him. Hey, what, what is this about? Uh, can we put together something? Uh, let's do it. So we got some funding from uh, the Inter-American Development Bank, which has been an instigator as an organization in Latin America. Uh, so we put together this. There was the first business angel network, and we were funding SMEs, actually, with business plans with you know, the, all the whole formal thing. Uh, uh, but I started putting together these uh, investment forums where you could showcase some of these uh, entrepreneurs uh, and some personal investors, you know, individuals. So we, we pivoted that from producing forums where we connect entrepreneurs and investors to becoming a place where investors could learn how to invest in uh, SMEs and, and startups. No? Uh, what was good around that is that we started uh, sending our inv angel investors to San Francisco and they started learning from the ecosystem there. Uh, I started, I learned a lot there too. Uh, and, and, and that was great because that was, I think, the seed for a lot of the angel networks that are present here today. Uh, the, there's uh, all of them have at least one uh, investor that went through one of those uh, training programs with us. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful story. Um, and 
illustrative of how you start with something and you figure out like, well, that's not exactly what's needed right now. Let's pivot to this education thing. And, you know, all part of this kind of fluid thing that we call community. Um, you know, what I found in Lima is a place that's just rich with culture, lots of tradition. And when I think about tradition, I sometimes think about kind of hierarchy and, you know, more of a traditional way that people do business and how they interact. And when I think about hierarchy, I think about kind of, you know, old white men that are kind of, you know, in charge and control things. And so did you find, I mean, I'm sure, so, I mean, some of that exists in every community. Did you find some of that? And how did you start, you know, you start talking about an angel network in 08. How did people in power, how did they react to that? And how did you deal with um, that they didn't, they may not have enjoyed the way that you were pushing that forward. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely that happened. Uh, so we did, one thing that was really good that we did, we had a the list of like the top 100 businessmen in Peru, right? So we started calling and like, and we started visiting and presenting it presenting them, hey, this is the angel network, this is what we're gonna do, and you're gonna have investment opportunities with, uh, with entrepreneurs, and, and that's gonna be great. So we got like 40 people to sign up for, for this angel network, uh, super high uh, worth individuals, a lot of money uh, in the pockets, very little time to spend uh, doing this kind of thing. So. We invited them to have, uh, you know, to, to be part of these forums on uh, the evening. So 7 p.m. at a nice place, you know, a lot of them didn't show up because of traffic, because they got stuck in the office, they, got, they, got, they had something else to do. We switched it to mornings. So, okay, 7.30 a.m. So it's the first thing in the morning. And that kind of gave a, a better result, which is, which is fine. But then the connections with the entrepreneurs, which were coming from another socioeconomic level, let's say, uh, these, these uh, are, you know, middle-class people, which are, they don't have the same last names as the investors. So they didn't know each other. They never crossed them in the country club, of course. Uh, so it was very hard to break that difference and that line that, that, the wall that separated uh, them. So it was culturally very hard to, to, to make it happen. Uh, here in Latin America, uh, the differences the, the, in, in socioeconomic uh, differences are much wider, I think, than, than in, in, in other places. And the, the limits of crossing these borders of culturally fabricated societies uh, it's way harder to, to, to cross. So yeah. that has, I think that's still going on. No, I, I see that as a generational kind of thing that you have to take a 20 to 30 year view. You know, we're talking about active leadership here. I mean, obviously all your stories are supporting you taking a very active role. Did you ever feel, or did anybody ever push back and say, you got to come and ask permission to do these things? And if so, what, what would you have done or what did you do if you ever had someone say it like that? I don't, think I, ugh, I don't <laughs> think I got that comment uh, explicitly, yeah. uh, but I was just doing my thing, you know, uh, yeah. I, I knew that this could work and I knew that this was coming and I knew there was no one else doing it in Peru. 
Uh, I knew we were the first ones. Uh, I knew we were pushing some boundaries, and that was great. And it was a lot of fun for me to to be doing that and and putting two two worlds that uh, I knew did it each other uh, and putting them together in these rooms and and and, and you know see seeing what happened. Uh, I think that that was really really exciting for me, and it, it was. Uh, I think it was really exciting for everyone. Yes, but uh, you know, there's there's limits to their to to for the, for this excitement to make them cross the border. So, right. but uh, I think we pushed them a little bit. We've just heard from two community builders, Lisa Mitchell from Kansas City, Missouri, and Gonzalo Villaran from Lima, Peru, about what active leadership means to them and the ways in which they help drive startup community growth in their respective communities. Now let's bring in Brad to bring us home and share his final thoughts. Hey, Brad, we just listened to uh, Ian Hathaway talk about words like act, trust, and empathy for founders. This podcast is around being kind of an active community leader. What do those words mean to you with regards to uh, active leadership? Just double underscore the word active um, and you know put it against the con- uh, contrasting word I think that comes to mind often, which is passive. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of cliches about entrepreneurship being a contact sport and something you have to really engage in all that sort of thing. Um, my own experience with startup communities is that uh, the dynamics are the same. Like there is nothing preventing one from engaging. Um, and if you think about the Boulder thesis and go back to the, the first startup communities book, right? You know, there were things like um, uh, the third principle, which is to be inclusive of anyone who wants to engage at any level in the startup community. Again, that word engage. Um, and then the fourth principle, which is to have activities and events that engage people in the act of entrepreneurship. It is an active motion. And one of the things I think as humans, we end up doing a lot of when we're interested in something is is passively observing um you know again cliche sitting on the sidelines or waiting to be invited in or looking for permission to do something like that's the opposite of what we we mean by active in terms of engaging with the startup community if you're interested in something just do it if you want to get involved just get involved don't ask for permission um it doesn't mean that you know, you should behave in a way that's uh, fundamentally obnoxious or cross purposes with everybody or hostile or whatever. It just means, you know, show up and start doing stuff. Yeah, I, I view leadership, especially with the startup community, as a, as a potentially and hopefully very collaborative thing. So if you have an idea for something, if you see a gap in your community, if you'd like to kind of insert yourself and pull together a coffee meetup or a hackathon or whatever, just reach out to a couple people, see what they think and, and start moving it forward, right? I mean, a powerful thing somebody can do in the context of, it, of that, just to sort of play on that, that thought is, imagine the number of times somebody said, there isn't one of blah, or nobody is doing underscore, or why isn't there a thing? And whenever that comes into your mind, just turn it around and say, huh, there isn't a thing. Okay, I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go start that thing. 
why isn't someone doing this? That's irrelevant. Like if it's interesting to you, just go do it. So you've been all around the world. You visited many um, kind of active and passive leaders and people who are interested in moving their startup community forward. You know, are there some other characteristics that someone could take on? Sure. Um, I think the best active leaders do not have a strong need to control. Um, they prefer influencing over control. By definition, when you're a leader, you often are in a very power-seated position. It's often in a place where you can significantly influence the path things go down. By definition, that's kind of what leadership is. But when you want to control things, or you want things to be under your control, or you don't want to create space for other leaders and other things to emerge. That's almost the antithesis of what an active leader in a startup community is doing. Um, in the first book, I talked about it as uh, playing a non-zero sum game. I have no idea where I got so stuck in the double negative there. And so now I talk about it as playing a positive sum game. I think I was trying to emphasize that it's not a zero sum game, but somehow I just got locked into this double negative. Again, cliches abound here, rising tides, lift all boats, things like that. But like cut through, if you cut through the, the cliche and through the noise, there is so much to do and so many opportunities that as a leader, um, it is not important that everybody follows your path and your path might generate other paths. And some people will want to follow where you're going. Some people may want to generate paths that you decide you want to follow. It's actually the joy of this chaos, of this complex system of the startup community, uh, where what you see is lots of different things happening and influencing each other. Again, this active motion causes those things to be emergent. It's a great segue into my next question. It's something you and I have talked about before, which is being overly concerned about overlapping some other event or activity. And you talk about over the long uh, arc of a startup community that you're going to have invariably some overlap or some people are going to view this and to actually not be concerned about that. And as someone who's running other activities to be supportive of something new or slightly different than maybe what I was doing super uh, important. And if you think about it as two different things, right? when you when people are, and let's just call them activities, when, when people are leading to totally different activities within a startup community, like, hey, great, no overlap, like easy to say, let's go do that. That's sort of natural. And that's natural in the context of most of our business activity. Um, now you get some overlap. Again, very typical in our business environments, where things have some overlap. And you then, when you have overlap, especially within a single organization, you try to amplify what's going on, cross collaboration across teams, things like language like that. In the startup community, when there's some overlap, that's actually really helpful for both because you have a common pool of people that are interested in both. So they learn from each and it generates activity for both. As that overlap becomes more significant, especially within single organizations, People start looking for efficiencies. Oh, we don't need two of those in this company. Or, oh, why are you know both of these initiatives spending time on this? Let's reorganize and put that on one team. So one team is doing that, and there's one leader. That's the opposite of what you want to be having in a startup community for lots of reasons. Um, first, even if the 
initiatives are going after the same thing, the leaders may attract different types of people. Um, the leaders themselves will be different and they will have different things that interest them and that drive where things go. So as they grow and develop, they may actually start to diverge rather than be explicitly on top of each other. In addition, when you really play it out over a long period of time, um, you learn so many different things in different contexts. And so the idea that you have two things that are doing something similar, um, but are operating in different ways, again, emergence of ideas and the emergence of things that will come out will be different. And it's actually very valuable for them to learn from each other and build from each other. Don't limit yourself as a leader in a startup community to, I have to go find white space. I have to go find something that nobody's doing. Focus as a leader on what you want to engage in. If somebody is already leading it, go join forces with them or start something that's tangential or start a couple of things, including a new thing that you're interested in and partner with them. All of these things are possible versus you need to create constraints around it. Lisa Mitchell talked about uh, referencing from the book covenants over governance, but that can be actually be completely the wrong thing to do, right? If, especially if they focus on governance. Governance is not at all interesting to a startup community. Um, shared values, shared cultural norms, um, uh, comfort with ambiguity, um, willingness to be inclusive and embrace uh, anyone and any idea. These are the things that are really important uh, in, in the context of a startup community. Structure, organization, management, top-down control, not interesting. And I often think as governance, as we're going to establish a set of top-down rules, um, you can have governance be bottom-up through, through a set of cultural norms. So maybe it's not that governance is the thing that's irrelevant. It's the bottom up norm, norm generating behavior that's interesting, that's inclusive versus a few people who are top down dictating and defining. Apply all of that to this notion of a startup community, which in many cases is simply not burdened by that hierarchy, although has a lot of actors who have a hierarchical mindset and the magic of the active leadership is not to exclude those leaders, but to co-opt those leaders, get those leaders thinking from a network frame of reference instead of a hierarchical frame of reference and make them and allow, sorry, not make them, but allow them to be part of this emergent bottom-up phenomenon. In this episode of Your Startup Community, we have unpacked the notion of active leadership and discuss what it means to a growing startup community as well as how you and your community peers can embrace the concept to the betterment of your ecosystem. We discuss the simple task of just act, to be resourceful, don't wait on the sidelines and don't wait for mission, as well as the opposite. Don't try to control people, events, or outcomes, nor look for cross-community efficiencies. Simply gain comfort with overlapping activities led by different leaders and ultimately chart your own path in your quest for active leadership. Until next time, I am Chris Hively, your host of your startup community.